Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast. This is episode 14. And this episode, we're focusing on AMA or Ask Me Anything. Now, when Jackie mentioned to me about wanting to do a Ask Me Anything episode, I said, yes, that's fantastic. Um, This is an AMA type format that I know that young people have always sort of said about on Reddit. So I'm sure that Jackie is not necessarily familiar with Reddit, but um, I do believe that young people are familiar with Reddit. So we are ready to start with some of the questions, Jackie. Okay. So the first question that we've got here is from Mel, and she's got a Christmas question. And she said, if you come off, the keto wagon for some treats at Christmas, how do you kickstart it again and will you have to go through the keto flu again? Well, this is this is a challenging question for this particular time of year. So whether it's Christmas, holidays, birthdays, weddings or any extended particular time of year where you will be confronted with food. And Mm. I think the challenge for this time of year is because it is a social situation, but it's also that you're not in control of the food or the food preparation. So it's really interesting to sort of go, you're either on or you're off. You know, you're either all or you're nothing. Are you a moderator or an abstainer? How best do you make decisions, Mel? So this thing becomes a think about how you're going to make these decisions. So already I can read in your question that you're making a conscious choice to either come off off the wagon. So and that's that's fine and that's all about you know permission and empowering yourself. The other word that you're using is treat. So it's a treat. So what is a reward and what is a treat? So these are sorts of languages that we we use to give ourselves permission to be on plan or off plan, to treat and to reward. Yeah, I definitely have, still have that treat mentality in around food, certain foods, and find it a challenge, often a challenge. But we need to be mindful about what that food and the effect of that food has on your body. So my question back to Mel is, are you prepared to endure, suffer the consequences and the effects of that food on your body. So I think it needs to be a mindful approach that should you wish to 
eat that food, then are you prepared to accept the consequences about what it does to your body? Because when we're eating low-carbon keto, we are doing perhaps we're making a very conscious choice to respect our bodies, to nurture and to heal particularly from particular ways of eating of old, you know, which has resulted in diabetes, inflammation, chronic pain, all those things that we have really tried to help by eating um, the way that we do. So I think Mm. it really needs to be obviously a conscious and mindful thing. For me, it needs to be a start and a finish or, you know, because I can't moderate. So it needs to be either a all or nothing approach with with that. Yeah. Whereas I'm a moderator for most things and therefore I can do a bit bit of both. And so my philosophy is on Christmas Day, I will have roast potatoes, I will have the Christmas pudding and some probably some after eight mints. I might have my avocado and lemonade. But I don't go mad on all the other things around. So there'll be things to nibbles before lunch. There'll be other things that are grain-based, wheat-based stuff that I would have eaten in the past. I don't do everything. I just choose the few things that I want to. And then for the rest of the days after Christmas, I will have be mostly low-carbon keto, and I might have the odd thing. So I don't just let the whole lot go. I just keep to a few things that I choose to eat. And then I, and before I come off, before I do that, I set a date in my head when I'm back full-on, and then I just keep to that date. What do you notice then? What Or how do those foods affect you? Unfortunately, I, I'm going to say unfortunately, they don't really affect me physically or any noticeably. I put on some weight. Um, so last Christmas, I think I put on six pounds over Christmas. And that was the whole two weeks. But what well, well, wasn't two weeks, 10 days that I, so it was a whole 10 days that I was a little more lax than I would otherwise be. So I'd have a couple of mints a day or yeah, that was mostly it, maybe the odd biscuit, but not, I didn't go mad. But I don't have any real side effects. You did say that you, you did finish that bottle of Advocate though. I did. I did. <laughs> but you enjoy it. But, but this is the thing. It was just a couple of mints and it was, you finished the, the Advocate and the lemonade. You know, that that's, you're not a big drinker anyway. So, you know, it seems to be, it's all in proportion. I mean, I've probably had, in the rest of the year, I have probably had three or four glasses of wine. That's my total alcohol intake. I don't drink a lot anyway, so a little treat at Christmas would be okay. And this year, my sister will be around because she was away last year, so I had to drink the whole bottle of Avocado myself. I had to. So it's your sister's fault. It was your sister's fault. Your sister made you do it. (laughs) Yeah, this year I'll share it with her. So she can have some. So, so you'll have half a bottle of Advocat and half a packet of mints. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but I just, 
I, I definitely, before I come off, I set a date in my head, which is usually when the kids go back to school, that that is it. And then I'm back to where I, back to where I started. But I don't, whereas previously I would have probably gone mad the whole time, I don't do that anymore. I just stick to keto for my lunches and my suppers. I might have the odd thing that I shouldn't have. Okay. Mel's question then is obviously how do you kickstart it again? So I think the, the good thing is that Jackie in her mind has said, I have a start date and I have an end date. So at that end date, you just go back to your normal way of eating. Whereas other people might go, that's it, I'm going to go into a fast. So the other way to really get back on track is because you've been filling up all those stores of glycogen from your from your carbohydrate, say particularly carbohydrate-rich foods of bread and potatoes, you know, Yorkshire puds or, or whatever it is that you've been having at Christmas time, having an extended fast will help you deplete that and kickstart the the metabolism, the fat-burning metabolism switch that you've already got preset in your body back on. So then will you have to go through the keto flu? Again, you may well have, I don't think it would be that extended sort of flu-type symptoms, but it would definitely be advisable to keep up your electrolytes and keep hydrated. You may feel a bit odd as you're going back from the glucose burning to the fat burning, but it shouldn't be like the induction phase that you went into when you first started. Often Mm. people will say the carb cycling is actually beneficial, that in, you know, prehistoric days that we weren't in this extended ketosis, you know, situation, that, you know, there were periods of eating, you know, the berries or the fruits or those sorts of things that naturally, you know, our ancestors would have been in and out of ketosis depending on seasonal variations. So, and other keto gurus are actually saying, well, it's actually beneficial for us to do this, is to have these carb cycles, you know, cycling in and out of ketosis. So it's not necessarily, again, all or nothing. It's what suits your body. But using that mindfulness approach, what is your why? You know, why are you doing this, Mel? You know, what are the benefits that you've seen? And when we're making those decisions to to have have the foods that we want to have at, at Christmas, being mindful that that's a conscious decision and these are the effects of that decision and, you know, is is that what is best for your body? And also being aware that it can trigger the response to want to continue eating more and for- people like you who are abstainers you might find it then difficult to get back on which and that's a really I good yeah. a date a date is really important it's good yeah and that's that's and that's on. part of you know, yeah and that's exactly what Gretchen Rubin would say that it needs to be paired you know I need to have these pairings um with you know setting dates and having those boundaries having my accountability buddy and having um, and being aware of the loopholes, you know, that was really something that Gretchen really, you know, resonated with me was it's Christmas and now it's Boxing Day and now it's New Year's Day and now it's the end of January. Oh, you know, this is, this is you know, the loophole. And I talk about my loophole bus being driven through, you know. Um, yeah, once I create that loophole, it's it's like a, it's a whole universe of galaxy by itself. Mm. 
And it's really good to remind the listeners that um, back in episode 11, we had um, Bitter Johnson, you know, who mentioned about, you know, obviously about sugar addictions. So, um, yeah, that's a really great reference to, to go back to. Yeah, good point. Okay, so the next question is from Charlotte, and she asks, does fat cause fatty liver disease? Well, Charlotte, yeah, it, that's a really, it's an interesting thing that in terms of the condition, fatty liver disease. Actually, it's non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is, is the proper medical name. And if we make reference to Robert Lustig's The Bitter Truth About Sugar, he is a passionate researcher, a pediatrician from, uh, from America, who will tell you, no, it's all about the fructose. It's the fructose that causes the, um, the fatty liver disease. So what's really interesting about this condition is that it's the excess carbohydrate consumption that our body converts into fat and that fat that gets deposited into the liver. And what that then does is cause inflammation. The inflammation then becomes like a little fibers, becomes fibrosed, which causes scarring, which then looks like an alcoholic liver. So hence the name. So you get cirrhosis of the liver. So it's really, it's a really um, interesting that often we have a sign of metabolic syndrome is this fatty liver, which is caused by mm. not fat, but from the excess carbohydrates. Yeah, sugars. And going on a ketogenic diet can reverse that quite quickly. Absolutely. And that's because obviously we tap into those excess fat stores and um, yeah, and helps to reverse that, that fatty liver very quickly. And again, uh, one of our other guests, um, Dr. Peter Bruckner, the sports um, medicine physician, mentioned how quickly his, his experiment, his self-experiment with um, low carbohydrate and how he reversed his own fatty liver that he'd had for a number of years. So yeah. amazing results. Heard it a lot. So next question. Donna asks, what to drink when socialising? Well, Donna, I was going to make a, make a joke. You know, the first step to recovery, Donna, is admitting that you've got a problem. But um, you're asking about low-carb, low-carb drinking. And there's really great, which we'll put in the show notes, uh, infographic that the diet doctor has on low-carbohydrate drinks. And it's really good to see what the choices that you have. And we're obviously trying to minimize the amount of sugar. So, And I was actually really surprised. Um, Prosecco is actually quite a good low-carb drink. I was actually quite surprised by that, Jackie. Oh, yeah, I am surprised by that because I thought it definitely wasn't. I thought it was very sweet. So the, when I was in the UK and you know, the prosecco that I did have was, was yeah, too sweet for me. But on the Diet Doctor mm. infographic, uh, it sort of suggests obviously the, the lesser sweetie wines, the carbonated wines are good. Uh, obviously the reds are, but what's really, if you're into drinking spirits, then the white spirits are good. So that's obviously your um, your gins and your vodkas, and yeah, so that's that's really good. So in Australia, we have a zero carb beer, uh, which is really great. So some of your low carb beers, um, such as your San Miguel Lights, 
I think you might be able to get that in the in the in the UK are actually quite a quite a good option if you if you like to drink beer. A great app is the LCBO, which is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. Now I realise that this is a Canadian app, but if you download it, you can actually search for many of the the types or the brands of um, of alcohol that you can have, and it lists the carbohydrate content of it. So, which is a really fantastic app to to use as a resource. Mm. Now, some people say that you can, with your spirits, like whiskey is another low carb drink. With spirit, the mixers, what do you think about low light mixers, zero carb mixers? Yep. Yeah, and even your tonic water, so you can get um, your sort of lower calorie um, mixes, such as your tonic waters. So the other, you know, and that's where you can mix it with soda. So, like a carbonated water, or your that's what I would do. Your diet. I would have a, yeah, have that. I'd have yeah, soda water with a squeeze of lime or lemon. Mm. Yeah, and the fact that the expat community is a very social a social situation, I tend to start with one one say a wine, and then I'll alternate with water or a. A nice big long pint glass of soda water and a squeeze of um, squeeze of lime. So making sure that you are alternating between and spacing out, you know, spacing out your, your drinks over the over the function. The problem is, Jackie, I can't drink. You know, I think since going low carb keto, I just have my threshold has has gone you know through the boots. Tanked, I cannot yeah. I cannot drink. I get drunk just looking at a bottle of wine. And I believe that this is because obviously the our livers and the biochemistry of our livers and alcohol then becomes the fuel that we will process. So whatever the, the biochemical pathways that we have from our fatty acids with our ketones coming into the to our energy cycles, alcohol becomes the preferential fuel when we consume alcohol. That's why we get drunk so quick. So one of the other strategies I did do was my mother-in-law had sherry glasses. So if we were drinking wine around um, at home on the dinner table, so, you know, our big, big glasses, I would actually have this little sherry glass, which was called my thimble. So my little thimble <laughs> only held about 80 mils, which I think is just is quite, quite, you know, it's quite acceptable. I still had a glass. But I had my thimble and I could have my little 80 mils of, of wine, you know, if I was having it with dinner. So think about the volume and obviously you can think about the type and spacing it out and be aware, being keto, that alcohol becomes a preferential fuel, um, which is, you know, the effects of alcohol seem to be more um, more exacerbated through that. Yeah, and I would be very careful with driving as well if you're having a oh. drink you might think one drink is okay but then it might not be if you're keto so mm. i would say definitely don't drink and drive no be and i find that i can yeah but sometimes you think i could have one glass of wine but mm. yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't do it on keto and then the other thing i i think is important if you're drinking is to make sure you're You've got your electrolytes because I think it can imbalance you quite quickly. Mm. I find that 
I can have a glass or two of wine and feel absolutely fine. I think I've mentioned this in the past. But then the next day, I feel terrible. I feel like I've drunk a bottle and a half of wine. And it feels mm. like I'm hungover, even though I'm not. Mm. So it does have a, a very different effect when you're not eating carbs to when you're eating carbs. So just go easy. Amy asks, what butter is best? Well, obviously, real butter. A lot of people nowadays have got used to having spreadable butters. And those spreadable butters are quite often mixed with vegetable oils. So I would definitely check that out. And I personally would avoid vegetable oils at all costs. So I look for, I always preferred unsalty butter. So if I wanted salty butter, I personally would take the butter and salt it myself because I think we don't know what salt they're using either. But that's being very strict and other people might be a bit more laissez-faire. So I would say just make sure it's real butter from real cows. So it's really interesting um, when I was researching some of these answers and there's a real movement towards having the obviously looking at the sources, the sources of um, the quality of our um, dairy products and and meat products. And often this was an argument about grass-fed. So what is grass-fed and grain-fed? And the reason this came up was a lot of the respondents to the questions about butters and which butter to use, which brands, you know, imported, your food miles, And these were some of the the questions that came up. So grass-fed and the brand that everybody was mentioning was was obviously the Irish Kerrygold. And being Australian and like the UK, we have such a very strong uh, dairy uh, industry. And Australian grass-fed butters are actually just our generic, um, generic coals and, and Woolworths. And a lot of the people on on this particular thread were really surprised that, what, Woolworths and Coles, butter is grass-fed. We don't have to buy, you know, this expensive imported Kerrygold. So, and that was really supporting our local farming industry as well. The reason that people were particularly passionate about having grass-fed because it changes the fatty acid profiles. So it changes the fatty acid profiles in the meat and it changes it obviously in the milk that um, and the cream that gets churned into, into butter. So, yeah, you know, this is about the food, you know, that you can make. The choices, whatever choice you make is good, but there are some choices that you can improve, you know, going from 95% to 97 to 98% in terms of the quality. Mm. And I think some of the online discussions about butter are in America where they have a lot of feedlot animals, whereas here in Europe we don't have that many. Most of our animals are grass-fed anyway. They might be grain-finished, but they're mostly grass-fed. So, yeah. And that's the same same for Australia. My personal favourite is President Butter, which is imported from France. But I just love it, and but I'll eat any other butter that if they don't have it in the supermarket, I'll eat any other butter that comes. And here in Thailand, um, obviously dairy is expensive, so we end up going to the big bulk store and getting 
getting our butter in a two kilo pack and it's really interesting marketing because they put obviously we have a lot of dairy that's imported again from australia and new zealand um we even in some the western supermarkets will have iceland and waitrose so that's sort of it's like oh i see something from the uk so (laughs) but this one the marketing is that they have this little aussie kangaroo label on it so um i'm sure that it's must be local milk that that uses it so yeah buying it in bulk for um the equivalent of 35 aussie dollars so which is 17 pounds 50 um for two kilos of butter wow i'll just take a deep breath and it's still an investment in my health absolutely definitely worth it and taste buds as well Mm. you wouldn't want to eat anything else really would you no no we don't use that much um, maybe just a just a, a smidge with our cooking um or olive oil so um actually yeah i think it's about the same price as i pay for our butter here if we pay two pound a packet that's a quarter of a kilo but i mean right we're up to a kilo that's eight pounds are you sure are you sure that's not like 500 grams no i think they're two. i think you'll have to eight ounces okay We'll have to have this. Is this sounds like a we're going to have to go to the website and and go to a a supermarket <laughs> to check it out. You can tell me I'm wrong. Maybe it's, that's fine. It's a half a pound, Maybe. which is a quarter of a kilo. Yeah, half a pound. Okay. Quarter. So that's about eight pound a kilo, which is not far off. So you you're doing okay. Mm. I I just think that Australia. Australia. Well, I maybe I'm now. You know, it's coming up to being a year here, and yeah, the faint distant memories of pushing my trolley through, um, through coals and woolies. Maybe I'm just imagining that it was cheaper. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next question. All right, this is from April, and she was asking, "It's only been two days, and my body is craving sugar." Um, I've feeling really hungry having just started keto i know we're meant to eat to satiety but how am i going to get over this hungry feeling oh the butter leads nicely into that one doesn't it (laughs) it does it's a great segue yeah so i would say just eat eat more than you need to to start with right at the beginning eat until you're not hungry i mean meant to eat to satiation does that mean she's not eating we don't know but she might not be eating enough i suspect and i think a lot of people come to this with the calories in calories out mentality and thinking that they need to keep their calories down so yeah i'll just say eat more eat more i think you're right because i think we still have this this mentality that you know, we're meant to be in this extreme deficit. I'm meant to be depriving myself. I'm meant to be, you know, in effect, you're under eating. But when we're eating to satiety, and again, this is just in that transition, we need to be able to reprogram and rewire ourselves to what are those signals? What does it feel like to actually feel not just full stuffed, but to feel I've had enough, you know, and that's because we're eating the fatty proteins until we are registering that we've eaten enough. Mm. But this is just all part of that transition. It's all part of the, you know, switching our bodies, fuel systems from glucose to fat, that our 
bodies are screaming out, where's my sugar? But actually, we're flipping the switch. You're going to now burn fat for your fuel. So your body is naturally screaming for that sugar feeling because that's what its primary fuel source was, but you're changing that over. Yeah. And if you so again, you need you need to eat the fat for your body to be able to use it because at this point it can't tap into the stored fat. So at least for the first six weeks you need to be eating lots and lots of fat. Mm. You can then ta- taper it down after that. That's right. So again, it's about electrolytes. It's you know maintaining your hydration. This too feeling will pass as your body adapts to being fat adapted. So whether that's three, four or six weeks, you know, that's obviously depending on the degree of metabolic derangement, but it's just a transition. Mm, definitely eat more, eat more fat, eat more protein. Uh, we tend to, as a society, tend to under eat protein as well. It's mm, true. So Tamara asks, what to do when I am the only one in my family doing low carb? So I think, Jackie, you're the best person to answer this question. Yeah, I think it is easier for you where you're both low carb. And for me, I just said, I don't want to eat potatoes, rice, grains. I want two vegetables now. And so whatever the family were eating, I would have, but just without the potatoes. And so we didn't do two meals. What did happen over time was that some of the meals that we used to have, the family now only has when I'm not around. So things like, not that I was keen on pasta bake, but pasta bake will be on the menu possibly when I'm not around. Nowhere near as much as it used to be do they, do they all eat um, pasta and the other things that they used to have. So I just said, if you're making shepherd's pie, for example, which is typically uh, mince meat with potatoes on top then I will just have the meat and I will put some vegetables with it so it's very easy I think it's easy to swap things out and in and I my for those of you that know me my husband does all the cooking so basically whatever he puts in front of me I eat gratefully most of the time eat gratefully because I didn't have to cook it so that's good for me what do you do when you were saying the other day he was going to make the like the chili con carne? So he he's really good to me. He is really good to me. He does me a separate one without the beans. So he makes, mm. he puts beans in for them for him and the boys, and he does one for me. Has everything else the same except no beans mm. and a lot less carrots. I don't particularly like carrots anyway. And mm-hmm. um, then I just have it on vegetables. So when we had the boys at home and three nights I would be cooking with, with Hayden and Andrew and Daniel and Aaron were cooking. So all the three the three young young men were obviously the carb carbholic you know, carbaholics. And as part of their tuition to adulthood, we would actually say to them, you know, you know, we will guide you in, in the cooking. But you need to sort of adapt and modify some of the and substitute some of the recipes. So where they would be having 
the um, you know the chips or fries or those sorts of things, we would actually get them still to cut up maybe some sweet potato or we would get them to make the zoodles or to make the cauliflower rice. So if we were having a bolognese, um, you know, the boys would cook the pasta, but they needed to then, you know, cook us something to, to go with it. Mm. It wasn't fair because I think it wasn't fair that, you know, we're helping them learn to be young men and be independent young men by cooking and cooking healthfully that it gave them an extra repertoire in their, their skill set, this culinary set to, to do zoodles or rice, um, cauliflower rice as well, So, and just different low-carb options. And like your boys, you know, sometimes they were, you know, they would choose to be lower-carb on certain meals, uh, which was really good. So just by leading by example, you know, they'd heard it all before, they'd watched the videos, they'd watched the documentaries with us. We made them watch the documentaries. Yeah, my boys won't do that. But, yeah, so when they chose to do it, it was easier. But obviously because we were, for about two years, they were cooking the meals with us under supervision. So they then got very used to um, naturally substituting and making, preparing options for us as well. Yeah. So it's a little bit extra work when you're cooking for yourself and making sure you can eat it and then the others having what they have i over time what has happened is we used to have potatoes with every meal and then i stopped having potatoes and then after maybe 18 months or so the boys stopped having potatoes with their meals so now they will have rice sometimes with a curry I've noticed recently they don't. They might just have a naan. Um, what else do they do? They ne- they don't have potatoes, except very occasionally if I'm not there. Yeah, I think for meals, evening meals, they've dropped a lot of carbs, and that's mm. nearly every night. And they have pasta maybe once a month or twice a month. We we certainly still had rice, um, the rice cooker, and yeah, certainly pasta i think daniel used to make a really mean bolognese that was really delicious the instead of potato we would actually have sweet potato so they they were okay with having some sweet potato i think when we were cleaning out the pantry for our big move here i think there were a few um, of those potatoes that were left over with the really big long ears you know that were growing out <laughs> so um yeah i think more often than not, you know, if, if potatoes were bought, we, we never really used them other than for maybe a mash, a special mash or a roast or, you know, it was very, like yourself, very, very few and far between yeah. in, in terms of that. And even the bread, like I think one of the boys was wanting to have toast, but even then half the loaf would sit there. I think the novelty wore off after a day or two, yeah. which was encouraging. It's encouraging for them. So I think just keep doing what you're doing doing, uh, and you might influence others in your family to make changes. You might not, but you just have to, you've got to make, you've got to make the different choices and it might mean a bit of extra work in doing different foods for yourself. So Lynn was asking, you know, today's the day I'm starting out and what are your recipe or other tips and suggestions so what was really good back in episode two 
Jackie and I did, um, you know, starting keto or what is keto episode. So there's some great tips and tricks in, in that particular episode. Jackie, do you have any other go-to suggestions? So with me and food, is I like to keep it simple. As, as I just mentioned, I don't do much cooking. Not that I can't cook. I can cook. I just don't enjoy it. Um, so I just keep it very simple. So for me, eggs for breakfast is a simple thing to do. It's quick and it's easy. I don't, we don't really do recipes. You're more good at recipes, aren't you? We tend to just have plain meat and two veg. That's what I like. Keep it simple. So I think when I went, when I started out on keto, I actually made, it was the real meal revolution recipe for the nut granola. And so when I was doing breakfast, the nut granola in big batch, a big batch cooking was really good. So as Jackie mentioned, bacon and eggs is, is a fantastic way to, to start the day. The nut granola is just super simple and, um, yeah, just having a bowl with some, some Greek yogurt, some berries and that, you know, that did me for um, quite a few months. Some other great recipes are like an egg muffin. So any of those sort of big batch cooking that you can do up. So those little um, Carrie Brown has a great link to a recipe, which is bacon, leek and feta. So a nice savoury muffin or our good friends, um, Dan and Erica, have a a delicious pecan um, and cream cheese um, muffin, if you like that. Leftovers are always great for breakfast. You know, you don't actually have to think about breakfast. You can have a um, yeah something that you've had for for supper the night before. Now, this is where Jackie and I differ. So I don't mind drinking my calories, Jackie. So <laughs> some people will start out with this, you know, big bulk, creamy, buttery, coconutty coffee. Um, or bulletproof coffee. So that is a great way to get a big bolus of um, of fat in your coffee. And that really does, for me, did sustain me until until I eat properly. I was going to say eat, eat real food um, until after lunch. So some other suggestions was obviously tracking. You know, you can track your um, track your macros. You can track your your intake, and this forms an account, you know, an amount of accountability for you as well. And that's because it's really important to plan your meals, plan for success, take your 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 wheelie bin, and throw out all the garbage that's in your pantry. Because if it's there. This is obviously a family approach, Jackie, so I'm not suggesting that, um, you know, you have to do that. But removing or avoiding temptation um, in, in terms of your pantry. But I was going to say to that is if you're living like with me with a, with a family and you can't right away because they're still mm. eating all that stuff, what yeah. I did was I sequestered a section of a cupboard. I now have a mm. whole cupboard, which is my my stuff in it. And so I'm not going near their stuff. I'm just that's right. to my my little cupboard or section of my cupboard. And that's really because I think again, and this is where you know Jackie is the moderator. She can moderate by having it in the house. But if I know that you know the 
the McWheaties are there and they're calling out to me. Or, you know, for Aussies, it's Tim Tams or mint slices or penguins or whatever your food is, your, you know, your devil food, then if I know that it's there, then that's going to be a problem for me. But that's, again, that's getting back to there's loads of meal planning templates. Again, the Diet Doctor has, um, you know, for one month for free, you can actually access those meal plans. So set yourself up for success by reading yourself of temptations and yeah, planning, but keeping yourself accountable with the tracking as well. And that gets to Jackie's other earlier point about under eating and making sure that you are eating enough for your um, basal metabolic rates, that you're not putting yourself too much in a deficit, that you're fueling yourself with the right foods at the right time. And that's where, you know, Jackie's making the choice about keeping it simple, fatty protein and vegetables, and making sure that you keep up with your electrolytes. Great. And naturally, you'll start to feel full and those satiety signals will start to start to kick in for you and feeling fuller for longer. And that's another question about, um, or not another question, but that's, that leads into, you know, your intermittent fasting or your time-restricted eating. Yeah, and that, but that will happen naturally over time. Or you might need to force it a little bit over time. That's right. Rachel asks, I've been doing low-carb keto and I visited my GP and... They said all the fat is bad. Eat food in moderation and don't restrict carbs as you need it for fuel. And I just put my head in my hands. I know. (laughs) You just sit there rocking gently, rocking gently. (laughs) Well, Jackie, to be fair, we have been absolutely blessed having a number of obviously medical professionals, allied health professionals and, yeah, guests. And... We're well aware that even, you know, just just recently we've, you know, heard again from a GP who we interviewed who reminded us that they didn't have nutrition training. They may well understand the fundamentals of biochemistry, but that was obviously in their undergraduate, you know, medical program, but they haven't done the, the medical, um, the medical training. So it's, not to excuse the GP, it's not their fault, but it's obviously the fact that they aren't aware. And that's okay. That's a limitation. And I was going to say, I think I mentioned this to you, that I started a low carb a year before I actually started low carb. And a few weeks in, I met a doctor and I told him what I was doing. And he just said, no, no, don't do that. You must eat your carbs. And I just, I was three weeks in, I didn't really know enough. And so any excuse for me to go back to potatoes and bread was a good excuse. And so I just ditched it and I I hadn't looked into it enough to find out why I was doing it and what I was doing it for. And so I just went back. But it it took then another year to come back to low carb. Mm. So it's easy to be dissuaded. Mm. That's right. So I think Rachel needs to be mindful that in in undergraduate or graduate medicine programs, nutrition, lifestyle, functional medicine is obviously not really covered in any great detail. The biochemistry is, but obviously the fact that it's not packaged as um, or in particular approaches to to health using this holistic holistic approach. 
So then the second thing about the GP is saying eat foods in moderation. And that's the message that we've been given. Obviously, you know, they've been given, we've been given for 40 years is low fat. And obviously, you know, being mindful to take a take a moderate approach. So, and obviously their understanding is that you need to be obviously consuming glucose to, to be fueling your body. However, the biochemistry, if they go back to the biochemistry, they should be well aware that there are alternate pathways to, um, you know, for energy in the body. So people then become quite critical, or certainly people, the people on Facebook, you know, get another GP. And that's not always the case. You can't always do that. Certainly in the UK, you're, you're not listed or you're bound, you know, to your, your particular practice. So you, you practice GP. So in other parts of the world, yes, you may well have the freedom to, to go to, to other medical medical providers. But the other thing is that Jackie has a great solution. So the thing is not to lie, but we don't call it low-carb or keto. Jackie, what do we call our way of eating? A modified Mediterranean diet. Which is sort of quite true we are modifying the mediterranean diet you know the fact that we're not necessarily eating those healthy whole grains but we're eating lots of you know healthy healthy fats and vegetables cheese dairy that sort of stuff is a great way if you have to name the approach to to eating as a modified mediterranean approach and the other thing you can say is i'm just eating real food i've cut out Mm. all the junk all the processed, yeah, processed, processed food. food. Yeah, yeah, it's and quite easy. And I think it's just a confidence to accept that GPs are not taught nutrition, they're not taught about lifestyle, and therefore they really should not be giving lifestyle and nutrition advice. And and quite often they don't. They will push you towards a dietitian, but just understanding that what they've learned is is very different and depending on how long ago they learnt it as well mm. but mm. there is no tr- nutrition training so in med school so some people have said they've had a couple of hours some people said they've had half a day some people have said they had nothing mm. and so i think depending on which med school you go to you'll have had different training mm. so and yeah. and it's all about relearning that yes we do need carbs as fuel, but also we can use ketones as fuel and actually the body works much better with it. There's lots of parts of our body that actually prefer the ketones to the glucose as fuel. So our last question is from Amy who was asking about what to eat when going out in terms of the the mall or the food halls in the shopping centres. Ooh, that's hard. Well, Jackie, I just I disagree. I think there's loads of options, and what you just need to be obviously very careful in in what you're what you're picking up. So, being able to go to a rotisserie. So, if you have a, have a carvery, so you can actually have your roast your roast meats. Often, um, certainly in Australia, they have the little cups um, with the pork crackle. You know, the actual crackle fat there. Mm. So the other things are that you do have the chains of the, the burrito bowls that then obviously with no rice and no beans. I know Dan and Erica have, um, have a, great, a great suggestion about extra sour cream and avocado with the meat. 
and cheese in the burrito bowls. Yeah. The other suggestion is if you're going to go to any of the burger chains, um, like your McDonald's or your Burger King, then you can just obviously, like our carnival friends, just have the, the patties and cheese in a lettuce wrap. Um, certainly in Australia, we can actually use the, the big menu pads for the Wagyu, the, the Angus beef patties with a lettuce wrap. So, and the other thing is with your um, kebab, your kebab sort of type um, rolls, you can just obviously get, um, again, the meat meat and salad as well. Yeah. And uh, see, I don't, I don't eat a lot of that junk type fast food, so I wouldn't go to a McDonald's or a Burger King or anything like that. So if I was desperate, would I? Possibly. Maybe I would just not eat. But I would go to Pret-a-Manger and get a salad. Um, they have a tuna salad, which is fine. What else would I have? I would go to a supermarket and get some hams or chicken is hard because it quite often has got sugar in it. Hams are quite hard to find, but some salamis and olives and some cheese, those sorts of things that I'll eat and just pick out if I'm out and about. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Um, the, your your M and S has obviously they have the boiled eggs. They will have sliced meats and sliced cheeses. Um, they do actually have olives, you know, seasoned olives in your little packets. I've got to say, the UK has some great, obviously, meal deals. Um, like your M and S, like two or three for, um, what is it like? You know, maybe five or six six quid. So, yeah, in terms of the packaging, so those mm. those packaging options are really good. I, I do miss that. Yeah. And butter, I have been known to buy. I have been <laughs> known to cream. buy some meat in when I was in America. I went to Trader Joe's and I looked around. And it was mm. really hard to find things that didn't have additives and stuff in. I found some roast beef and some butter, and I just stood in the street and ate the beef in one hand and the stick of butter in the other. And I was just eating butter and beef, but it, I was <laughs> I was I had enough to eat. It was fine. But if you're standing in the middle of Paris, as I was with um with with good friend Daisy Brackenhall, and we went to a cheese shop, and we got like a you know like a, a just a slice of cheese, and I'm eating walking down the street, <laughs> eating this wedge of you know soft cheese. So you know hard hard desperate times call for desperate measures and that sort of thing. But to be fair, the street food here in Bangkok is delicious and I can get like a meat on a stick and that's always obviously fresh and um, yeah, being being sold for, I think we worked it out for, what was it, 25p for a stick, a stick of meat, you know, that's just absolutely, you know, pennies. So there's, there's loads of, um, loads of options here which are grilled, so they're charcoal, they're not necessarily, I'm a bit cautious about the vegetable oils and, and things like that. But there yeah. are mall options, like food hall mall options, big food halls um, here in Bangkok. Um, if any of our listeners have been to MBK or, um, you know, Siam Paragon, there, there are big um, food halls here that do actually have curries and admittedly noodles, but they do have the meats and chicken options, which the servers always look at me, what do you mean no rice? No rice. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> they just they, they just cannot comprehend. But they'll still put it on the on the plate, but obviously um gets pushed to the side. But um yeah. Loads of loads of delicious options. Chicken's very plentiful 
um, and pork, fish, yeah, like loads of fish here. But for the regular, I suppose the regular types in the in the food halls in the big big um, um, central sort of you know shopping malls, Leon is another UK one as well. So they do have some good options like salads and things like that. Yeah, I think you quite often have to re- revert back to a salad finding something to eat if you're not going into a restaurant if you're looking for fast food yeah but yeah i and like turkish and food it's right. yeah. good and you and you're right like pret pret has those nice packaged um like tunas and salmon simply the salad and the egg and that sort of stuff they have a protein i remember the protein one was my go-to one yeah so jackie that's the end of our ama so thank you to the listeners for their questions and it's been really good to you know have a have a bit of a natter this particular episode. Where can the listeners get the show notes for this episode, Jackie? So you can find the show notes at www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero one four. And we will be doing a episode like this every three months. So if you have any questions, you can submit them by going to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA and we'll look forward to answering your questions in three months time Yay. it would be great if you could support us through Patreon go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice, whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not. They're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. Mm-hmm.